This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Report. I'm Jonathan. And Ramon is present. And I mean, while it was fun at the beginning, I'm, I'm getting a bit tired of, of sexual harassment stories from Hollywood now. Yeah, well, you know, I feel quite harassed currently because you pu- pulled your chair closer to mine and I actually gave very many nonverbal cues that this was uncomfortable for me. And now I, I actually, I'm not sure what to do, Ramon. I only react to verbal cues, <laughs> Jonathan. Um, yes. So yeah, so it was fun or not fun. Yeah, it was fun calling them out at the beginning. I mean, I think Harvey Weinstein, like definite rapist. Well, there's a schadenfreude, isn't it? Polanski, definitely. And then this article about Aziz Ansari comes out. I'm like, okay, woman, like you wrote this whole piece and you just said, I just didn't enjoy it. And then you think it's, it validates your sexual harassment. Like yeah. it's a bit. And I think. And, you, and sorry. Yeah. And they keep her anonymous throughout. Yeah. I, th- I think that, that, uh, that's just the sort of cherry on the, on the cake because there've been so many since, as you mentioned, Harvey and, and the rest of them, uh, that it's just kind of now, if you've ever had an unpleasant experience and the, the person you had that experience with happened to be the opposite sex, uh, it's kind of, Redefined what sexual assault means. Yeah, it's become a bit of a moral panic. I'm afraid to say, yet another one. Yeah. And uh, the moral, you know, moral panics are not helpful or or healthy at all. Um, and it just deepens polarization and divisions where you want to control how people interact with each other. That's a bit uh, tyrannical. Well, not useful either. And uh, to this end, today our guest on the show is Professor Janice Fiamengo. Uh, Janice is a, a professor of English at the University of Ottawa. Uh, she also has uh, some clips on YouTube, which we would suggest you can go and watch, from uh, called the Fiamengo Files. And uh, she joins us on the line today. Hi, Janice. Uh, thanks for coming on the show and uh, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. So we came across some of your clips on YouTube and uh, We've also been referenced uh, by uh, Jordan Peterson, uh, who we've also had on the show previously, and we thought it'd be an interesting conversation in the light of everything that's going on in the world at the moment. Uh, perhaps if I can start, have you ever considered yourself a feminist? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. I did. Um, feminism was the the air that one breathed when uh, I was a graduate student, um, and so I and I was very interested in in feminist theory. I was a student at university in the 1980s, starting in 1982, and I didn't finish with university till 1991. And uh, because I did a bachelor's and a master's and a PhD eventually, and um, so I I accepted feminist theory. I was very interested in feminist theory. I read a lot of it. And um, so I, I certainly, I, I considered myself a radical feminist. And and what do you suppose has happened to that movement in the last sort of 30 to 40 years that I think a, a lot of people who would have considered themselves feminists in the 70s or 80s uh, now can't really identify with the modern movement? Mm-hmm. 
Well, um, it's an interesting question whether something has happened to the movement or whether the movement is simply sure. more of what it always was. <laughs> you know, uh, um, I know that, that uh, many feminists um, who, you know, sort of long-term feminists want to say that the movement that they joined onto and supported um you know and promoted is is not the same movement that they believed in um but certainly i think people who are just kind of casual feminists who haven't uh done a lot of reading in feminist theory aren't involved perhaps in radical feminist activism would say that feminism is about gender equality and it's pretty hard to find anybody these days who doesn't believe in gender equality. Um, of course, it depends what you mean by gender yeah, equality. How you define if, it. if what you mean, yeah, exactly. If what you mean is that men and women should have equal opportunities in the world to, um, you know, to make their contribution to society, to to fulfill their aspirations, uh, to exercise their talents. It's pretty hard to find anybody who wouldn't say they support that. Uh, I've spoken to many, many men who are terrified by what feminism has become, but none of those men, I've never met a man who was a misogynist, you know, who hated women or or felt that women were, uh, you know, inferior in some absolute way or, or who didn't want to work with women, you know, or anything like that. Uh, most, the vast, vast majority of men are delighted to work alongside uh, qualified women and most men love love women and, and want to support them and have them in their lives. So, so um, but when you start talking about um, equality of outcome, of course, then you get into a, a very different sort of situation, and and that's where we have conversations about the pay gap, and we have conversations about why there aren't more women running Fortune 500 companies, or why there aren't more women at the you know, at the very top of very large corporations, why there aren't more women, you know, who excel in, um, I don't know, the, the STEM subjects, high level, high level maths and, and very complex, uh, scientific research, that sort of thing. And so the feminist demand, which, which begins from the premise that, you know, men and women are absolutely equal in every way, or that men and women are essentially the same, and that we're only different because of social construction, then that demand is always that anywhere you can find a situation where women are not represented in equal numbers to men, that must be, therefore, because of what they call systemic uh, discrimination, systemic sexism. And then the demand is for special measures to be made for uh, you know, for affirmative action, hiring, for um, special um, assistance to women to help them excel in these areas where they aren't equally represented with men. And that's where I think a lot of, um, you know, sensible people have, have trouble. Um, and it's hard not to notice the hypocrisy of the kinds of demands that we, we hear continuously um, because women are not concerned about um, the types of undesirable positions where men also dominate, such as in 
uh, you know, working in the sewers, for example, or um, working at, you know, <laughs> collecting garbage and uh, or working on construction sites, indeed, or, or um, you know, repairing the electrical grid when it goes down in the middle of an ice storm. Or, you know, there are all sorts of things where, where men dominate dangerous, dirty, difficult, unpleasant, smelly jobs, and you don't hear women clamoring for equal representation there. So, you know, when when one hears that, I, I can't help but think <laughs> that it's really about women wanting all of the best things and and demanding that they get them, whether they're willing to put in the work necessary or whether they actually have the the um, the abilities, um, but not being willing to uh, to take on the the, the more difficult tasks <laughs> that also need to be done in society. So, I think so, there's a, a, yeah, so to sorry, get back Dad. to your, your, your original question, where did it go wrong? Okay. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, it, it, right now I would say that those who object to, um, the feminist movement would say that feminism has become about, um, power without accountability. Fair enough. So. There's there's a well-known uh, statistic that about only seven percent of I believe it's British women um, call themselves feminists. So obviously the vast majority do not uh, see themselves as feminists. Yet um, we are talking about feminism for some reason. It's a very popular subject in the world. Um, That's for sure. And mm-hmm. why would you think that is? I mean, what what is the the methodology that allows them to create this? You know, this vortex of, of information and <clears throat> and communicate those you know their ideas to the world, whereas you know the majority of women in the world, or in Britain at least in this instance, uh, do not see themselves as feminists. It seems a bit contradictory. It does seem like a contradiction, and perhaps what we're really speaking about when we use the the term feminism is gynocentrism rather than feminism per se. Um, and gynocentrism is a term that's popular in the uh, what's sometimes called the manosphere or the, <laughs> the men's rights movement um, uh, um, communities that speak about men's issues and criticize feminism. And, and I think maybe um, um, those, those people would say that what what um what we often find in society is not necessarily an explicitly feminist platform but but a but a a, a woman centered one and that um our societies have always been gynocentric it's been necessary throughout human history for men to care about women because women are crucial to the survival of the human species and uh um, and women are precious resources in that way. And, you know, if you, if you have, you know, a whole bunch of your members of your community slaughtered in a terrible battle or, or dying in a famine, uh, if you only have a few men left over, it's possible for those men to repopulate the community uh, as long as there are enough women, because, of course, women, it takes much longer for a woman to... Uh, conceive and become pregnant and bear the child and all that sort of thing. Um, whereas one man, you know, can father many children, uh, in a short time. And, uh, so, so just for reasons of, of survival, women have always been precious. And so that that's built right into our DNA as human beings to care about women, to really care about 
uh, the safety of women, harms to women are, are harms to the whole community in a way that uh, it isn't, simply is not biologically and therefore socially true of men. Men um, are considered expendable. They can die off in massive numbers and the, the uh, tribe or whatever it can, can continue on. And, and so I think, um, so what we have then is when, when uh, you know, and, and feminists often talk about, you know, the, the struggle of, of the feminist movement. But in fact, if you look through history, um, when women have made complaints about their situation, when women have objected to something that was wrong, men have tended to listen. And although certainly there's sometimes been resistance, but the feminist demands have been met really remarkably rapidly. And if you look at especially, you know, starting in the 1960s, women's demands for an end to sexist stereotyping, for entry into uh, professions from which they felt they were not really welcomed. Um, you know, all of that occurred in a remarkably short period of time. If men really had not been interested in helping women, they could have simply said no, but they didn't. And, um, you know, we've had an absolute transformation of the society as a result. So, you know, so whether women uh, consciously identify as feminists or whether they simply enjoy the, um, you know, the results of our society's tendency to care about women and to, you know, to, and to jump when women say, you know, we, we want some changes made in our lives. Um, I think that's simply the, the truth of the matter that, that we do tend to listen very seriously when, when women complain about things. All right, I, I, I'll go along with that. Would the counter argument, I suppose, be that women might have been seen previously, uh, while as precious, they may have been seen more as precious possessions than uh, as individuals of their own. Certainly, uh, you know, the, the turn of the uh, the previous century with the suffragettes and, and and that whole movement was more about uh, women being seen more as individuals. Uh, I suppose that that was a that was a fair uh, uh, um, argument or complaint. Um, yeah, I, 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 it, it is I, I, to a certain extent. Uh, um, I, I, you know, I think it, it depends on um, the consequences of being seen as a as a precious possession. Um, if that meant that you were so precious that your life should be saved over that of a man, um, you know, is that really a terrible, terrible liability or is it actually a form of privilege? Uh, I remember being at a conference where um, one of the speakers, uh, a young man named Jonathan Taylor, uh, was was speaking about the the suffrage movement in the late 19th, early 20th centuries. And he said, you know, who was more oppressed? The, the woman who was, the young woman who was, agitating for the right to vote let's say you know who was more oppressed in 1915 the the woman who was agitating for the right to vote or the young man who um was sent off to the trenches of the first world war and had his guts ripped out in in battle um you know it, it it's all dependent on on, on men, your, men on your have also, perspective there yeah, I mean, men, you know, it, it, it's quite fine to say, well, women were possessions of, of men, 
you know, to a certain extent, legally, yeah, men were also responsible, you know, husbands were responsible for their their wives' debt. So, for instance, we hear about the injustice of the fact that women couldn't, there were certain kinds of financial transactions that women weren't able to enter into uh, on their own. In fact, even up until sometime in the 20th century, uh, in many places, women could not um, have their own credit cards. And now if you just hear that fact, you think it's an outrageous injustice. But the other side of the fact was that men were responsible for their wives' debts in a way that women were never responsible for their husbands' debts. And, you know, you can, like to, you can talk about what that meant, what that kind of gender system meant and, you know, who was most oppressed in it. But the, the truth of the matter is that these relations were always really complicated, uh, and that both men and women sacrificed in different ways for the, you know, the good of the, of their communities overall. Uh, so simply to talk as if, all men had privilege and power and oppressed all women is not an accurate way of understanding the past, you know, or certainly how the past informs the present. It certainly so. I mean, the more, the more we read about history or talk to people like you, the, the more doubtful we are about our own um, intuitions uh, about the world, uh, which is, I assume that's a, a healthy, healthy way to look at it. Um, but, but Janice, from my side, is there any argument from modern feminism that you find persuasive in some way? Well, I certainly do. <laughs> I certainly do believe that uh, women and men should be able to to exercise their talents in the world. So, you know, to that extent, I I absolutely do do um, you know believe in gender equality, which is what the modern feminist movement says that it it most ardently stands for um and you know i i i think that the modern feminist movement does put its finger on things that are true to a certain extent um i think we still do for example think about sexual relations in relation to men and women in different ways i think men and women respond to sexuality in, in different ways. It, it means for them differently. Um, but where I part company with modern feminism is seeing it as all about power differentials, of seeing men as having all of the power and women as having none. It seems to me, again, it's a lot more complicated than that. Um, so I agree often with you know certain aspects of of what modern feminism has to say, but uh, it it ignores a, a great deal of the truth as well. I mean, I I studied and I am I'm I'm shocked at the degree to which we don't know very much about our history. I studied the the 19th century suffrage movement quite. Thoroughly, when I was doing my my PhD, because I was interested in Canadian women writers, some of whom were suffrage activists, and I never even realized at the time that um, there were many men in the British Commonwealth countries who didn't have the vote, and in fact didn't get the vote until the same period when women were granted the right to vote. 
and no one ever told me that, and none of the documents I was reading mentioned that fact, that, that men had to have property qualifications and a certain um, a certain income in order to be able to vote right up until the early 20th century, so that many of those men who were sacrificed in the in the trenches of the First World War themselves could not vote. I mean, that's a startling fact that changes the entire picture. Yeah, it, it does indeed. Uh, another objection of modern feminism I have is that you will never see this in in a in a in a very popular newspaper. But the world as we know it today is probably the least oppressive, the least violent. Um, it's the happiest we've ever been and the wealthiest we've ever been. And there seems to be a, a, a strain of thought where it appears nothing that has ever been done in history has ever improved the, the plight of women in the world. It's as mm-hmm. if, it's as if the first iterations of feminism just never existed at all or were never successful. Yeah. And that is very surprising, you know, despite all the data otherwise. Yeah, I know. It is, it's quite remarkable. Um, I mean, I suppose you don't, you, you don't make a very compelling case, you know, if you're trying to make demands and you're trying to exercise the, the, um, the moral power of the victim position. One of the most bizarre things about the modern feminist movement is this insistence on victimization as women's perennial experience. But, you know, rhetorically speaking, um, I guess that is a powerful position from which to to make your demand. And uh, so women, yeah, feminists, or, or women in general, indeed, cannot acknowledge that women today are more secure, you know, more, more, more privileged, um, more free, more more pampered indeed than than any other human beings in history uh, to acknowledge that of course would would weaken the the kinds of positions they're able to claim so yeah i find it truly bizarre yeah well what what can we do um well except of course we can just uh, rebut <laughs> the assumptions of course is it so last question jonathan i'm leaving you out of the conversation my apologies but one more question what is if um, um janice on, on your side what is the the harm you're trying to prevent from happening um do you think that these arguments from feminists are very persuasive to legislators so you're worried about yes. laws or regulations they coming are. in Mm-hmm, absolutely. I mean, I'm worried about the utter collapse of our society as a result of the uh, unfettered demands that are being made. And yes, indeed, to change the law. Um, that, that's what's going on here in Canada. Um, many um, <clears throat> feminist activists want laws to be changed, for uh, particularly around um, prosecution of sexual assault claims, uh, the law has already been changed. It, um, men's right to um, self-defense has been uh, curtailed because there's certain information about the complainant's um, past behavior that can't be brought forward under what are called rape shield laws. And um, so that the, the uh, right of the uh, accused to make a full defense has already been uh, limited, but feminists want it to be limited 
even further. They want to actually change the law so that the presumption of innocence is not the starting point in cases of sexual assault because they feel that that it's been too difficult for women in order, you know, to to have a man convicted, and that's it's terrifying. And there have been articles, all sorts of articles written explicitly calling for the end of the presumption of innocence, or sometimes saying, well, we don't really want the end of the presumption of innocence, but instead what we want is this. We want training for judges. We want new theories of trauma to be used in in adjudicating cases of sexual assault. So even if a woman contradicts herself, even if her story doesn't make sense, even if what she did after the alleged assault doesn't correspond to what we expect a, a sexual assault victim to do, for instance, if she continued to pursue the man and continued to, you know, send him text messages and emails telling him she'd like to see him again, or if she sent him text saying that was a wonderful night, you know, when can I see you again? I just loved it. We're, we're supposed to accept, according to trauma theory, that a real victim might actually do all of those things, and that those cannot be used as evidence that the woman was not sexually assaulted. I mean, that's just stunning, and this is having an effect. Legislators do take this stuff seriously, because I think they see that this is the way the the cultural wind is blowing. So, yeah, I'm really worried about what this means, and what it also means, I think, is that many, many men are deciding forget it. I don't want to have anything to do with a society that is willing to destroy my life on a crazy, vindictive woman's word. And I have heard from so many men who are are just saying, forget it. I would never get married. I already know that if I get married and I happen to marry the wrong woman and she decides to divorce me, I can spend the rest of my life paying for her support. I may never see my children again. She can make a false charge that I was abusive of her or of the children, and that's the end. I will never see the the children that I love. So they don't want to get married. They don't want to have children. They say, what's the point of, you know, pouring my life into some kind of work that I care about when I can be ejected from the office because a woman makes a claim that I sexually harassed her. I I, I don't even, you know, I, I can make a joke. I can ask a woman out on a date. I can just look at her admiringly. I can give her a compliment. And for all these reasons, I can be dismissed from my job. So all sorts of men are just dropping out of society. They're full of resentment, a, a kind of hopeless frustration, This is not good. You can't keep on telling men decade after decade after decade that you're no good. You're you're violent. You're you're all rapists. You're aggressive. You're entitled. You're privileged. You should you should apologize for the sins of your fathers. You can't keep telling them that and then expect that they're not going to have a response of some kind and it's not going to be a good response. So yeah, I'm really worried about the legal and the social repercussions, which I think are are going to be disastrous. Well, they are disastrous as well, far as I can tell right now. Yeah, well, we, we've already seen some social repercussions. Perhaps we can come to but forward to to current news. You've you've mentioned about how a woman can make a um, uh, an accusation and essentially is always believed uh, over and above a man in general. Um, we've we've mm-hmm. just uh, in the past week or so we've had uh, Aziz Ansari, who's a well-known comedian, um, a television star, just won an, 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 a golden 
was it a Golden Globe or an Emmy? Um, and uh, some a woman came out and said, "Look, I I uh, had dinner with the man. We went back to his place. We fooled around uh, quite a bit. There seemed to be consensual oral sex between the two of these people uh, repeatedly. Um, and at some point, uh, she didn't feel comfortable. She never verbalized this. She said she gave nonverbal cues, which." You know, the reality is it's biologically men are not as good as reading those as women just to start off with and not to mention the fact that verbal mm-hmm. cues really matter. Uh, and at the point she did say, look, I'm no or I'm done and I'm out. She was there was no uh, forced um, interaction, uh, although she felt that the entire experience had been forced in a way. Uh, so um, <laughs> right. it, it, mm-hmm. this is where we're heading. People's lives can be destroyed. And I suppose this comes into the entire Me Too movement. So do you want to give us mm-hmm. uh, uh, your perspective on the movement, your perspective on these kinds of claims uh, against individuals that uh, can destroy lives? Yeah, well, you know, what, what can you say about a movement that's based entirely on the premise that any accusation without any proof, not having been investigated by police or in a court of law, should and can and will ruin a man's life. It's astounding that we're at this point and that the leaders of our society, by and large, seem to think that it's a good thing. But even the good feminists who are who are cautioning, you know, that maybe it could go too far, we better be careful that it doesn't go too far, what, do you, what can you say? How can you say that something could go too far that at its very base is contrary to all the principles of a decent society? That, that, I mean, accusations alone should never be able to ruin lives, even if there are multiple accusations. So, yeah, I find it truly bizarre, especially since so many of the accusations that that are coming out are of the type that you've just described. We're talking about often consensual or, you know, seemingly consensual sexual involvement where the woman has not said no, and yet afterwards claims that, well, she didn't really say yes either. And all of this comes out of uh, the feminist yes means yes and affirmative consent movement, which is making it more and more difficult for men to actually ascertain what a woman wants and enables women to say after the the sexual involvement that they didn't really consent. I mean, it's truly bizarre. If men were saying this about women, Feminists would be outraged. Just hold on a second. My cats are having a big fight. Stop that. No problem. Um, hey, stop that. Um, if, you know, if men were saying that women can't say what they mean about sex, that women don't know what they want, that women say yes when they really mean no, if men were saying that, women would say it was the most outrageous sexism. And yet it's exactly what... Women are themselves now saying, well, I said yes, but I didn't really mean yes. I felt, you know, I read an article in the New York Times just recently by the gender editor, Jessica Bennett, who made precisely that argument. Women often say yes when they don't really mean yes. Of course, that's a fault of society because society supposedly trains women to want to please men. Well, now we're getting into all sorts of murky areas of psychology, very dubious kinds of claims. And it's the opposite of what the feminist movement, I thought, was supposed to be about, which was about women taking responsibility 
for themselves in every area, particularly in the arena of sexual relations. And now we've come full circle, and feminists themselves are saying, you know, that, that women can say yes when they actually mean no. And so what does that, you know, what's the end result of that? So they can say yes, but then afterwards they can say they really meant no, and the man was supposed to somehow know that, and therefore he should be, have his, his life ruined because now they're going to circulate these terrible allegations about him. I mean, it, it's just astounding. And what it really seems to be is women saying we are not mature adults. Nothing we say can be trusted, but we want you to trust what we say in a court of law or when we make these public statements about how we were abused. That, then you have to trust us, and if you don't, that means you're a misogynist. I mean, the contradictions of it are so glaring and should, in my opinion, discredit any women who are taking part in that movement. And yet it doesn't seem to matter. Everyone's afraid to, to speak against it. It, it also seems uh, antithetical to the feminist movement in the sense that it's always said, you know, when it started, women are strong. Women can do things for themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, women yeah. uh, are not these Victorian era type of beings mm-hmm. who, who need to be kept in a corner. They're not allowed to ride horses mm-hmm. because they might fall and break themselves. Um, and, and now, right. and now we have the situation where the movement is basically saying uh, women are completely weak if they get into a situation with a man where they're not happy. Um, they're unable to, mm-hmm. to, to verbalize that and act on it and move away or do something. Now, that's not to defend anyone, any man who then doesn't listen to that. But up until that point, women have power and, and, and certainly on this show, we, we believe in individuals and agency um, and they're, they're, they're mm-hmm. removing agency from, from women. Yeah, it's it's just absolutely astounding. It really is. And and you're exactly right. That's what I keep thinking of. We've gone back to the Victorian era definition of women as so weak, so supposedly shaped by their society to be willing to please, which is uh, you know nonsense as far as I can see. All I ever see in in social messaging is, you know, the the encouragement of women, you know, to say what they want and take what they want and they deserve everything. So, but even that isn't enough, apparently, you know, apparently women are just, yeah, these fragile reeds. And we've had, uh, you know, here in Canada, we've had a ridiculous case of an MP claiming she was traumatized for months because another MP, a member of parliament, uh, you know, made a joke, a vaguely sexual joke when they were at a fundraiser together. And, you know, and this has just ruined her life, essentially. This is a so, sorry, I need to tell our, our listeners the, vo- the the joke was he took a photo, I think, in which there were him and two women. And he said something to the effect of this is not my idea of a threesome. And uh, she then subsequently mm-hmm. said seven months later or, or something that she was yeah. still traumatized by the event. Mm-hmm. She couldn't do her job, and it's ruined everything for her. And you know, and and I, you know, I've read so many cases. I mean, that's not the only one uh, of things that they're just so trivial, and yet they're brought forward with great seriousness as terrible harms, and people don't respond as if they are. I mean, the man in that case, he had to, he had to apologize on multiple occasions, and I guess if he hadn't apologized. He was in danger of being dismissed from from his position. Uh, it's just it's nonsense. So, 
Yeah, uh, we have come back to the point where women are such fragile, delicate, weak creatures that all sorts of special laws and special social customs and special protections and special treatment have to be mandated in order that they don't have a complete meltdown. And yet at the same time, if you suggest that maybe this job is too stressful for a woman, feminists will leap up and down and say it's the rankest sexism. So it just seems to me that the movement is so riddled with contradictions at this point that I don't know how it can keep on, and I don't know how anyone can't see that it's damage, the damage it's doing to our society is potentially irreparable. I mean, I really do fear that I don't see how we can recover. We have weakened women to, the, to this point by, by giving them power with no accountability and by encouraging them to see themselves as victims, to encourage them that whatever happens to them anywhere, it must be the result of sexism. I think we have actually warped many women's moral capabilities, that they no longer are able to listen to their consciences, they no longer have common sense, they're no longer able to, you know, respond as strong individuals to the ordinary give and take of human interaction where people aren't always nice, where the workplace is often a, you know, a, a scenario where you don't always feel valued and, and treated as you'd like to be. Women just don't seem to be able anymore to accept that that's, that's, men have these same experiences. Men just have to suck it up. But women cry sexism and everyone falls all over themselves uh, you know, acknowledging, oh yes, it's so terrible, it's so terrible. Um, yeah, so, and, you know, and, unfortunately, and then, yeah. there is a there is a truth nested in in that that claim of the the feminist claim that women are are victims. Not not in the sense that they're victims, but um, psychology. You know, the big five personality traits. Women are very high in agreeableness, and agreeable people are taken advantage of a lot more than disagreeable people. So you can imagine that there is a there is a truth nested in there somewhere, but the the externalities through which they take that that truthful claim is just you know get ridiculous very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, uh, yeah. I mean, I I I I'm not a psychologist, and I know, um, for instance, Professor Peterson has talked about that about agreeableness as a trait and. And uh, the the kinds of difficulties, and I, I've certainly been there. I, I'm one of those people that likes to say yes much more than I like to say no. But I see that as a personal weakness, you know, a, a personal weakness that I should work on. I don't see that as something that I can blame my society for. I don't well, see that, that that makes me a victim of my society. Uh, I think it's probably something that's that's you know much deeper than simply social conditioning. But, um, but yes, to be told that everything that goes wrong in your life is a result of forces of systemic sexist discrimination, I think it's the absolute worst thing you could say to somebody. I mean, I hope that's not why you said uh, yes to us. To come into this podcast, <laughs> you're being oppressed See, as we speak. I may claim that I, I'll, afterwards, I'm going to spread it around that I didn't really want to do this interview and that you forced <laughs> me into it, and it was all against my will. <laughs> Sure, but even agreeable, you say it's a weakness. I'm not convinced it is a weakness. I think, uh, you know, personality traits are what they are. They sometimes are helpful and they sometimes are harmful. Uh, That's a good good point. I think if you're a a child 
of her parents, uh, mm-hmm. y- your fact that your mother is quite agreeable uh, is probably a mm-hmm. good trait for parenting, certainly uh, for, <laughs> for being a mother. Exactly. And especially if you have a father who exhibits other traits and who, who teaches you, you know, I mean, this is the classic that the, the mother gives unconditional love, which is very important for a child. And the father teaches the child that respect has to be earned. And if you have that, if you have a good combination of that, if you're taught both those things and if you feel unconditionally loved, but you also learn that respect has to be earned, you may have a good chance of growing into a mature adult who can enter into real relationships. So, yeah, I agree. In lots of situations, agreeableness is is a wonderful thing. Um, But, um, you know, (laughs) it may not be if you're if you're trying to um, demand a raise or, or whatever it happens to be. Uh, yeah, but then, you know, to, yeah, to always see as, as the feminist narrative tends to that, you know, that's the result of systemic discrimination or whatever, or social conditioning, the way in which the world oppresses women, uh, it's not a helpful way of, yeah. of understanding individual responsibility or understanding society as a whole. I, I mean, I think, you know, Ramon refers to it, uh, this sort of nested truth. And I, I, I feel like there are a lot of truth. I do think I would prefer to be where we were not right now, because I agree with you. I think we've completely derailed. And I, I do think there's a threat to the way we view society, uh, certainly functioning societies, but I'm not, I don't have a problem with the fact that women were given the vote. And I don't have a problem with the fact that a woman who decided she wanted to dedicate her career to the stock market instead of to having kids and and looking after the household can do so if she wishes to do so. I don't have a problem with those kinds of changes that have definitely happened. Uh, I just think that we've overshot the mark on in many areas. Uh, you, You know, I, I, I think for example, sexual freedom, uh, I'm perfectly fine with it. You do whatever you like and you sleep with whoever you like, but there seems to be this point where we went to, well, you do exactly whatever you want and, and almost, um, certainly in pop culture, one night stands and not even necessarily knowing the person, uh, that you're sleeping with is perfectly mm-hmm. become a completely acceptable thing. If you were on the more conservative mm-hmm. side of the aisle, you would have a problem with that. People who, uh, you know, advocate for marriage uh, are now kind of having their point proven to some extent in the fact that they're saying, well, uh, the, the Aziz Ansari affair never really happens because, uh, you know, I think they're too strong in, in their in their point. But the, if, if you very much believe no sex before marriage, if that's your view, um, then the Aziz Ansari and a lot of the other accusations never happen because you get to know someone uh, before you ever touch them, and then and then once you touch them, they, they're your wife. Uh, so uh, it's interesting how these sort of very radical feminist ideas uh, are kind of proving what was previously thought as radical ideas um, somewhat um, correct. Uh, and I, 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 I'm nervous of saying the word correct because I don't necessarily agree with that, but uh, it is making what was previously a radical idea, no sex before marriage, uh, what certainly in the nineties became a, a radical idea, um, seem like quite a good idea now. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and it, it, at the very least, one would say that it, it, uh, it gives the lie to the insistence that, uh, Men and women are exactly the same. 
that men and women have the same kind of attitude to sexuality. You know, women have the same libido as men. They just need to be released from all of these social constraints because, yeah, that's exactly it. When you hear about these various situations and, you know, I'm a university teacher and so, of course, I'm very conscious of what young people are are doing and I walk home every night and I see all of these young women in bars, you know, drinking themselves nearly unconscious with young men that they don't know very well. And, um, you know, you're not supposed to judge that. And, you know, they engage in this hookup culture. And, um, and for one thing, it always makes me think, you know, we're told over and over again that women are terrified now, you know, that, that we, we, we live in a rape culture that university campuses are rape cultures, that, that young women are so afraid and all that. Well, they would, if they really were, you know, if, it, if we really lived in a rape culture where women were terrified of all these rapacious, sexually aggressive men, well, they wouldn't be doing this. They wouldn't be going out to the bar and, you know, drinking. It'd just be too risky. Young men, they, it'd be way too risky, but they're doing it. And obviously, we know why, because alcohol is the great, you know, loosener of inhibitions, and if one wants to be sexual, or feels one should even, perhaps, you know, alcohol is, is the route to relaxing into that. And, uh, you know, and so, so then they go home with these young men, or they invite them back to their place, and then the next day they regret. And now that counts, according to feminist theorist says sexual assault mm. um, because she was drinking. I mean, it's just so, con- you know, she, she can't consent if she was drinking. But he um, can. Well, what about the, yeah, yeah, he can. He's <laughs> responsible for everything. There's no so, equality there, yeah, the of course. Standards, you know, double standards are just outrageous. But th- what you were saying, you know, you can't help but think, why do so many of these young women feel regret afterwards? Why? Because maybe there's something wrong with that way of being sexual, and maybe there is something that's that's not unique to to young women, but but perhaps distinctive um, for, for women's psychology that they want to be loved, they want security, they want to have sexual relations with somebody who, if not their husband, at least is you know a long term loving, respectful, secure relationship. So that's sort of the old conservative position mm. that the feminist said, you know, was <laughs> all nonsense and just a social construction. Yet we see that being acted out, it seems to me, over and over again in these sort of regret uh, sex encounters yeah. where the girl then claims that, that, you know, she didn't really want to do it and it wasn't really consensual. Yeah. So we go round and round in circles. Last thing, uh, thing, and once again, thanks so much for joining us because you've made this call to us. Um, I just wanted to find out you're on a university campus. University campuses are a gen- generally these days the center of progressivism um, mm-hmm. and progressive ideals and a lot of where the stuff comes from, frankly, uh, partly because of uh, yeah. infiltration of things like the Frankfurt School. Um, mm-hmm. But but what is the response? Uh, I, you, you you hold a very unpopular view, certainly on on liberal campuses. Uh, this is this is not stuff that likes to be heard. So, how are people interacting with you, your students? Uh, do you get a lot of blowback, or uh, do they just kind of avoid you? I think they just kind of avoid me because I have to say I haven't had a lot of blowback. 
Um, but I'm, you know, I'm on the way out. I'm, I'm on the older end of, of things. I'm looking forward to retirement. I'm not trying to build my career. I'm not trying to establish, you know, professional connections with others. If I were, I think I would be in a very difficult position. Um, but I'm just doing my thing. And I think a lot of my students, the vast majority of my students, I'm sure, are not even aware of, you know, I'm not a rock star like Jordan Peterson. So I think I'm, I'm, I pretty much fly under the radar. Having said that, whenever I've tried to give a talk at a university, uh, it's been protested. And, uh, you know, often with fire alarms being, being pulled and, and, um, you know, radical students not allowing the talk to go forward. And I'm involved with an organization called the Canadian Association for Equality, which is interested in men's issues. It's a very moderate, um, even to some extent pro-feminist organization, but, um, wants to raise issues of importance to men and boys. And, I'd say almost without fail, um, over the last couple of years, every time we've tried to bring in a speaker at the university, a radical student group has either prevented the talk from going forward, prevented it altogether, or at least has disrupted the talk with the fire alarms or whatever. So, yeah, um, the university is not a, a receptive environment to any um, anything, any kinds of conversations outside the framework of the men are bad and women are wonderful, you know, feminist paradigm. If you try to complicate the issue or if you try to even just say, sure, women have their issues, but men have their issues too, let's talk about some of them, even that is too much for feminist ideologues on campus. So it is the the campus today is completely in thrall to progressivist radical ideologies and it is determined it is ruthless about preventing any other kinds of conversations. That's why it's been so effective because it's totalitarian, you know, in its in its mindset it, it won't allow you know, there are men, young men trying to form men's issues awareness societies on campus. They are nearly always denied by their radical student unions because they they aren't feminist in their approach. So so these people are determined to quash all dissent, even of the most mild mannered sort. Yeah, well, on that note, unfortunately, we have to wrap it up. Uh, I, I do think there is an up-and-coming generation. I do think there's going to be a, 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 a sort of uh, response to, to this. Uh, I hope it doesn't go too far the I other way so. uh, because often that's mm-hmm. what that does happen. But uh, it does seem to be, you know, you talk about Jordan Peterson. Uh, there are there are others as well. Um, mm-hmm. Canadians, uh, you, you've got Gad Sad in, in Canada and, and certainly in the U.S. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the, the yeah. popular, um, more popular, certainly what is the right wing, although that is so large now, it's impossible to classify where mm-hmm. everyone fits in. It's just anybody who isn't radically left. Ba- basically, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, that mm-hmm. whole thing of if you went to sleep or fell into a coma in the 80s as a as a progressive, um, you would have woken up in, in 2018 <laughs> as a as a right winger. As a conservative. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, without having changed exactly. at all. But uh, Janice, uh, <laughs> Professor Fiamengo, thank you very, very much for joining us. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Um, thank you for calling in. We had some technical issues in the beginning there, but uh, it's been a wonderful conversation. 
Well, thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. And uh, we will hopefully have you back again sometime. Okay, that would be great. Thanks so much. Okay, Cheers. Take Abe. care. Bye. Bye-bye. Uh, right, so that uh, would be right. So another good conversation, Ramon. Well, it depends on the listeners. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Absolutely, that's that's definitely true. Uh, they they may have hated it, but uh, it's not their podcast. So, no, tough luck. So fuck them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no swearing in the whole show, and then we get there. Well, I mean, I don't swear in front of ladies. That's a fair I, point. I assume Janice is a lady. She didn't mention beforehand how she wants how to How she identifies. How she identifies. Well, that could be a crime in Canada if you had not called her. Not correctly. in South Africa, though. Yeah. So yeah. I can call her whatever I want. But no, nevertheless. Um, no, interesting. I, I think she makes some very good, solid points. I, I do like the, the case of uh, female weakness being a virtue uh, when, you know, originally the opposite was true strength was a virtue not mm. weakness and mm. now it's apparently weakness and i fully agree with her on practically everything she said so that's why i was that's why i've got nothing much to say <laughs> yeah <laughs> I well, just hope I people just, enjoyed it's it it's really relevant uh, given this whole hashtag me too which i think many people have, feel now has gone uh, too far not a bad idea in the concept where you have predators say in hollywood uh, uh, and predating on on uh, Young woman. And if you want to see the best article I've seen on it is by a man called Andrew Sullivan. And it's, it's, it's I think it's called Me Too Has Gone Too Far. Is, is that the, was that the Times article or not? I, I don't know where he wrote it. It, it might have been. Anyway, we thank you for listening. If you enjoy the show, as always, we are funded only through Patreon contributions. So you're welcome to go onto Patreon forward slash Renegade Report and donate to us. Any amount is uh, always welcomed. We really appreciate it. You can find Janice, our guest today, on Twitter at Janice Fiamengo. You can also find Ramon at Roman Kavanagh, myself at Jonathan underscore Witt. The show is at Renegade underscore Report. Now you've got four new accounts to follow. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Cheers. This is cliffcentral.com.